You know, as you and I continue in our series, Joy in the Journey, we're confronted with the reality that many people in this world do not enjoy life, they just endure life. And the reason is this faulty and fatal thinking that in order to have a good life, I need to have a problem-free life. And so in their pursuit of a problem-free life, they're constantly changing things. They change their careers, they change their circumstances, they change their relationships, they turn around and try to even have a geographical change. If I move, then I can be happy. But you see, there's no such thing as a problem-free life. And so we chase after this fantasy that's, that's never going to become a reality. See, something we need to understand is that every person on the planet has problems. Every single person. There's not a single person on the planet that has a problem-free life. And what Paul is going to teach us today is it's not about the pursuit of a problem-free life. It is the pursuit of a purpose-driven life. Because if you and I miss our purpose, why we're here, we will be in danger of having a miserable life because we miss the meaning of life. Paul, as he faced the critics, as he faced these people that wanted to put pain in his life, as he faced the problems of life, said this, I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. That is a lifestyle of joy. And many of us, we have these moments of joy, but not really a lifestyle of joy. Now, there's a difference between happiness and joy. And we know that happiness comes from the root word happenings, and happiness depends on what's happening. So you go to Disneyland. You're there. You're having a fun time on all of your favorite rides. You're eating your ice cream. You're happy. And then they say, we're closing the park. It's time to leave. And you, you walk out of the gates and And you and I can lose our happiness because it depends on our happenings. You see, it's tied to our circumstances so it can change. Happiness is external. But joy is based on Jesus. Therefore, it's not just external, it is internal. And if you're basing your joy on Christ, it can be constant in your life. It doesn't shift or change because Jesus doesn't shift and change. Look, your circumstances are going to change, but Jesus Christ doesn't change. You see, it's here that you and I discover through what Paul wrote to this church in Philippi, the secret to a successful Christian life. How do we know that Paul had found the secret to success when it comes to a Christian life? Because even in the midst of the prisons, he was positive. Even in the midst of the pain, he was still passionate Even in the midst of the problems, he was still productive. Can you say that in your life today? How many of us allow the problems of life to completely derail us? And we face these people that bring pain and hurt our hearts, and we lose our passion for Jesus. We come against these prisons that want to prevent us from doing certain things for Jesus, and we just just stop being positive. We come against the problems and we end up being destructive instead of productive in our lives. Let me tell you something. The last several years of Paul's life, from a worldly perspective, were not happy. But from the Word's perspective, they were filled with joy. He spent two years in prison in Caesarea. Then he was sent by ship to Rome to face Nero, who was known for his cruelty to Christians. 
But the ship never arrived because it got shipwrecked. And Paul survives the shipwreck, manages to get to shore, and he finds himself on this little island. He is then bitten by a poisonous snake. Can I ask you, how's your week going? Perspective, right? He survives the winter on this island, only to be picked up by the next Roman ship and transported to Rome where he is put under house arrest. Can you imagine being a prisoner in your own home? Chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Loses all of his privacy. But he doesn't lose his passion for Jesus. And you and I, in those prison times, in those painful times, in those problematic times, can forget our purpose is to preach the gospel. Paul says, I'm going to rejoice, and I'm going to keep on rejoicing. You see, it's here that Paul reveals in The Secret to a Successful Life four powerful principles. But I want you to understand as you turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, that the power is not in the principles. It's in the practice of those principles. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. But that does not matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I truly expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I am torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sake, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have an even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. You see, it's here that you and I come to the first powerful principle, and that is that we need a perspective to live from. Paul here says, for me to die is gain. As a believer in Jesus Christ, what do we gain when we die? We gain a home in heaven, right? So what kind of a perspective should we have, an eternal perspective? How many of us are focused on the here and now, and how many of us are focused on a home in heaven? If you and I have that eternal perspective, we will be driven by the things that are eternal. You see, There are only two things in this life that are eternal, souls and scripture, the word of God and people. And if you and I want to live a successful life, we need to live for something that will outlast ourselves. And many of us, we're just living for the temporary, we're just living for today, we're just living for ourselves, and we don't have this eternal perspective. When I'm doing marriage counseling, I don't look at it as a problem. I look eternally down the road. That what if as we speak truth into this couple and help them learn how to communicate and how to love each other and how to have that masterpiece of a marriage instead of this misery that they're living in right now, 
what change will that make in their lives and in their kids' lives? And then as their kids grow up, what change will that make in their parenting and their marriage and their grandkids and their grandkids? And you start to see that what we invest in when we invest in the lives of people can be generational. But if you and I aren't careful, we will end up having a worldly perspective instead of a perspective built on the Word of God. And when that happens, our prayer lives will be driven by our problems instead of God's presence. And we will start to demand that God remove the problems instead of asking God to use the problems. You see, something that we need to understand today is that every single one of us in here has something in common. We all have at least one problem. And right now, some of you are thinking about what that problem is, and you're mad at the preacher because for a little bit, you could, in the singing and all of that, you could push that problem to the back of your mind, and and now he's got to bring it up again. But you know what? That problem is coming up anyway. When you walked in here, every one of us walked in, and what did we do? We carried our problems with us. But you know what's more important than your problems? How you're looking at your problems. You see, something that's more powerful than your problems is your perspective of those problems. And here's what Paul says. I'm going to rejoice in the midst of the problems and the persecution. Why? Because I have an eternal perspective, and an eternal perspective in turn means that I'm investing in the things of eternity, which means I want to invest in the Word of God. And Paul says it doesn't matter if there are painful people. It doesn't matter if there are problems in life because here's the reality. It does not prevent the spread of the gospel. Do you see how a proper perspective, an eternal perspective, helps us to focus on Jesus and not on the junk, on his presence and his power and not on our problems? You and I desperately need an eternal perspective in these emotional and politically charged days. People are running around crazy. They are just emotionally driven. Why? They don't have an eternal perspective. In church, some of those people are us. We are running around like chickens with our heads cut off because we're focused on on politics today and not on God's power. Can I remind you, our perspective as Christians is not driven by who is the president or who holds the house, it's who holds the world in his hands, and that is Jesus Christ. Because here's what we're doing today. We are tying our joy, we are tying our peace, we are tying our hope, and for some of us, we're tying our salvation to the president instead of to the Prince of Peace. But let me tell you something about your hope and your joy and your peace and your salvation. They did not come riding in on the back of a Democratic donkey or a Republican elephant. They came on the back of the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And on the cross, Jesus Christ defeated the devil and he defeated sin and it was the roar of the Lion of Judah. If you want someone to follow today, if you want someone to get passionate about and excited and crazy for, it is not a donkey, it's not an elephant, it is the Lamb and the Lion of God. Is that what you're passionate about today, church? See, we've, we've lost our perspective today. Have we forgotten that it was God who brought his people out of slavery in Egypt? 
It was God who brought his people out of captivity in Babylon. It was God who brought his people through the crucifixion and the cruelties of Rome. And it was God who brought his people through the horrors of Hitler. And yet we're turning to political policy to try to change the world today. Now, don't make a mistake. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in politics. I want you to get up and go vote. Don't be lazy. Exercise that right that you have, that that right of freedom that you have been given. November 6th, get out and vote. But what I am going to say is please don't tie your joy to your vote. Please don't tie your hope to that vote. Please don't tie your peace to that vote. And please don't tie your salvation to that vote. Because here's the thing. When you understand that God has the power to take your problems and your pain and to propel his plan forward through that, then you can have hope even in the hard times. You can have hope even in the hurtful times. When your heart gets crushed, you can still have hope. And here's the thing. When you have hope in the midst of the hard times, then you will be freed from worry and fueled for worship. Can you say that today? I am, I am a Christian that has hope in the hard times, and therefore I am free of the worry and I am fueled for worship, and I'm not going to keep wasting my life on worry when I could invest it in worship. Little boy walked in and he saw his mom and she was embroidering. And he says, hey mama, what are you doing? And she says, I'm making a beautiful picture. And he looks up and he says, mom, from here, it doesn't look pretty. I love how honest kids are, right? Mom, it looks like a mess of tangled knots. And she says, I know son, you go play. And when I get done, I'll show you the pretty picture. And so he runs off and he plays for a little while and then mom calls him back. And she says, come here. And she picks him up and she sits him on his lap. And what I want you to understand is his position has changed. He is no longer looking up. He is now sitting, looking down. Therefore, instead of looking at the backside of the tapestry, he is looking at the front side. And his perspective is this, wow. see, he sees the real picture because he's no longer looking at the mess and looking at the knots. Church, how often do we look up to God and say, God, what are you doing? You ever been there? And here's God's answer. I'm taking your problems and I'm taking your pain and I'm weaving them into my plan. It's going to be a beautiful picture. But I need you to run along, go play because I'm not done yet. But we don't go play. We're not in the game for God today, are we? We're sitting on the sidelines. We're sulking because we're focused on the problems and the pain instead of this beautiful picture, this plan that he has for our life. You see, God's going to pick us up and sit us on his lap and he's going to give us the privilege of, of looking at things from a different perspective. Do you realize that when you said yes to Jesus Christ, your position changed? You are no longer a slave to sin, standing there looking up. You are now a son. You are now a daughter. You are now a royal priesthood, and that position should cause you to have a different perspective. But most of us today, we're not living in our position, are we? And therefore, we have this polluted perspective. And so what we're doing is we're giving priority to the problems instead of to his presence. Our perspective is driven by the problems, not by his power. 
But you see, it's not just that you and I need a proper perspective, an eternal perspective. We also need the right priorities to live by. Paul here reminds us that we have to figure out what matters and what doesn't matter. We have to figure out the significant from the trivial. It's like what the great Bible commentator Matthew Henry said after he was robbed. Here was his statement. They took my money, but thankfully they didn't take my life. His priorities, what really matters, and some of us, we're living life like money matters more than life, right? You and I need to understand that the important thing when it comes to priorities is that you and I don't get buried in the trivial things, that we become driven by the significant things. And many of us, our lives are driven by trivial problems instead of significant things. If you don't determine your priorities, other people will determine your priorities for you. You have to sit down with God and His Word and say, what absolutely matters in this life? Because if you don't and other people start to prioritize your life for you, you will run around putting fire out after fire, putting problem out after problem. And there are preachers, those of you that are listening online, and you're worn out and you're tired from the ministry, and here's why. You have made your priority being a people pleaser, and you're trying to please every person in the congregation. You're just running around putting out fires. You're letting all the different people in your life prioritize your life because you've never sat down with God and his word and said, God, what are my priorities before you? Do you notice here that Paul makes a statement, and it's really a question, and he says this, what does it matter? And he's talking about these critical Christians. Remember last week we saw these critical Christians and they're kind of the consumer Christian that just wants to come in and be critical because because they need the spotlight to be on them. And so what he does is, is, is he responds to this instead of reacting. And his response to the critical Christians that, that instead of wanting to compliment the church and cooperate with the church, want to compete with the church, he says, what does it matter? And we get ourselves all wound up today over things that don't matter. Paul then goes on to say the only thing that matters is that Christ is preached. And how much of our lives do we, do we get caught up on, on the things that affect me versus the gospel? You see, you and I have to take a long, hard look at all of the things that happen in our life, and we need to start asking ourselves this question. Does it matter? If it doesn't matter then stop majoring on the molehills. Start majoring on what matters. And many of us today, we we literally are making mountains out of molehills, things that really don't matter. We're losing sleep over those things. We're, We're burning up huge amounts of emotional energy. We're ruining our health with stress. And Paul just said, you know what? It doesn't matter. Move on. Are you giving priority to the problems or to his presence, to the critics or to Jesus Christ? Are you giving priority to the arguments that are pointless or to the Almighty? But you see, it's not just that you and I need to have a proper perspective and we need to prioritize our lives. But thirdly, we need a power to live on. And what is the power that Paul talks about here? It's the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the prayers of the saints. 
why don't we submit to the Spirit of God? Why don't we access that power source in our life? Because here's the thing. When you accept Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Wherever you go, you're taking the power of God with you. But you have a choice as to whether you're going to walk in the Spirit in His power or in self-strength. And many of us today, we're trading the power of the Holy Spirit for self because we don't want Him to be in charge. It's a control issue, and we still want to control things. And what we're saying is, I'm okay for Jesus to be my Savior, but not my Sovereign. I'm okay for Him to save me, but not to be my Lord. And when that happens, when Jesus is your Savior, but not your Sovereign, you will have a Sunday Jesus, not an everyday Jesus. And many of us, we walk right out of here and leave Jesus. Why? I want to be in charge. I want to call the shots. Because I still think I know what's better for my life. What about the prayer of the saints? Do you understand the incredible power in prayer? Why don't we ask other Christians to pray for us? Sometimes it's because we're prideful. We don't want to admit that we've got problems. Let's just deal with the elephant in the room right now. We all have problems, right? There's not a single person in here that has it all together, preacher included, right? But boy, we spend a lot of time pretending like we have it all together. And as long as you look like you have it all together, no one's going to pray for you. Here's the reality. I'm not asking you to just be an absolute mess all the time. But I'm saying, who are the people in your life that that you regularly call and say, hey, I've got this going on. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Listen, if, if the great apostle Paul was humble enough to admit that he needed the prayers of the saints, then I need the prayers of the saints, and you need the prayers of the saints. I think another reason that we don't ask people to pray for us is sort of the other side of pride. We don't want to be a problem. We don't want to be a burden in people's life. We don't want to get into people's life and... and, and and burden them with our prayers and our problems. Let me tell you something. Praying for people is not a burden. It's a blessing. And I know so many people that that will message me, either on Facebook or text me, and they'll say, I don't mean to be a bother. Sorry, Sorry to be a pain. What would you pray for me? Church, you need to understand, as your pastor, it is a privilege to get to pray for you. It is not a pain for me to pray for you. It's one of the greatest joys of my life is to pray for God's people. Because I understand the power of prayer. But you know what happens when we don't rely on the power of the prayers of the saints? And on the power of the Holy Spirit, we start to rely on self. And it becomes about self instead of the saints and the Spirit of God and the power of prayer. And when it becomes about self, how far are you going to go on self-strength? Not very far before you run out, right? And when we start to fail in our own strength because we're not relying on other believers and we're not really relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, we turn to these other things. We turn to food for a feel-good. Instead of turning to God the Father, we turn to alcohol. This is not just a male problem, but it's highly a male problem. It's becoming increasingly a female problem, but we turn to pornography, right? We're trying to get excited because we're not excited. That's why we're doing that. We're trying to energize ourselves because we're wore out. But why are we wore out? Because we won't rest on God. And so we start to rely on these other things. Let me tell you something about pornography. 
Pornography is not the power that will drive your life. It is the poison that will destroy your life. And how many of us are turning to poison today instead of to the power? Do you notice these words, expectant hope? Paul is saying, that's where I'm placing my hope. And I want you to underline that. I'm placing it in Jesus. Because if you and I aren't careful, we we will place our hope in other places, in other things, in other people. Paul here says very clearly that the result of the prayers of people are that he became bold for Jesus. And I want to ask you this question. Are you living a courageous Christian life today? Here's what Paul is saying. If you want to live a courageous life, you've got to live a connected life. Connected to Christ and connected to his church. Connected to the Holy Spirit connected to the power of prayer through the saints of God's people. And many of us, what we are doing in our lives is we're just Lone Ranger Christians. Let me tell you something about Lone Ranger Christians. Lone Ranger Christians typically lead to run over Christians. We are connected to everything but the church and Christ today. We're connected to the internet. We're connected to social media. We are connected to Netflix, and we got all these meaningless connections. You go and you look at a family sitting down together. They're not connected to each other. We're connected today to technology, not to the truth. Why is it that so many of us, instead of turning to prayer when it comes to problems, we turn to social media, and instead of praying about our problems, we post our problems. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time Facebook fixed your life? How much time are you spending there? If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it was God the Father and the Son that saved you, right? That's what's fixing your life, not Facebook. And so it's time for us as the church to turn back to the sun and to turn away from trusting in social media. And and I'm saying this, you and I need to be asking people for prayer. Just stop posting the problems and the pain and start going to prayer. Because I'm telling you, God the Father, regardless of what the world wants to tell you, is much greater than Facebook. You and I, When it comes to people that ask us to pray, we need to pray. Have you ever had someone say, hey, I've got this situation going on in my life and and I need prayer? And we say, okay, I'll pray for you. And then we walk away. I would encourage you, pray right then. Now, you need to ask for permission with that person to pray because they may be a very private person and they may just want to tell you that and have you pray in private and that's okay. Rarely has that ever been the case for me. But so often what people do is they say, hey, I've got this thing in my life. Would you pray for me? Sure, I'll pray for you. And we walk away. Connect to the power right now. Let's pray right now. You ever been in a spot I have where where someone's asked me to pray for them and then, then it's like a week later, I'm like, man, I have not prayed about that. Because there's so many things going on in life that consume us, right? And we forget to prioritize these things that matter like prayer. 
And one of the things that's been helpful to me, it's just a tool to help me to pray for people, is, is when I find people sharing those, those things in their life, the, prayer, the pain, the problems, whatever it is that they're going through, oftentimes the Bible speaks to that. There's a verse or a passage that speaks to that. And maybe it's Ephesians 4.23. I'm just using that randomly. And so here's what I do with 4.23. I put it in my phone, and at 4.23 every day, that name pops up. And I pray. Wherever I'm at, I stop and pray. But we need those reminders, right? The power of prayer. So let me ask you, what kind of a perspective do you have? What kind of priorities do you have? What kind of power do you have? You see, the last principle here to to you and I leading a successful Christian life, the prescription for that life, a productive life, is that you and I need a purpose to live for. He says here, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's here that, that Paul reminds us that Jesus gives us someone to live for, not something to live for. You see, it's here that we're reminded that we are to live for the Lord the Lord that loves us and died for us. And so I want to ask you, what or who are you living for today? I want you to take your Bible or take a notepad or take your phone or whatever, and I want you to write out this question. We're going to put it up here. For me to live is, and then I want you to put a question mark and leave a spot in there for a blank. For me to live is Now, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. He filled in that with Christ. This is a purpose statement. For me to live is. What is the purpose statement of your life? You see, if you're a professional athlete, you might put sports in there. For me to live is sports. Professional musician, you may put music in there. Maybe you're a parent and and you might put your kids in there. For me to live is my kids. Maybe you're a grandparent. You put, for me to live is my grandkids. For some of you, you could put the weekend in there. For me to live is the weekend. You're living for the weekend. Monday morning, first post on Facebook. Oh, I can't believe the weekend's gone. Wednesday, oh, we're getting over the hill. We're almost there. Friday, oh, I can't wait for the weekend. Monday, oh. And that's pretty much your social media pattern, right? Why? What are you living for? You're living for the weekend. Why aren't you living for the week? Do you realize how much of our lives we're wasting today? We're living for two days and we're throwing away five days. Because we're living for the weekend. Why are we living for the weekend? Because we're living for self, not for the Savior. So you plug in self. Now I want you to be absolutely gut level, brutal, honest with yourself. You don't have to share this with anybody else, okay? But I want you to be honest. What is really the purpose statement of your life. Now, now, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you know what it should be, right? We all know the right answer. Paul gives it to us here. It's open book test. For me to live is Christ. But is that true in your life? And why does it matter? Because it's not the whole statement. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, let's start plugging some things other than Christ into this. For me to live is my career and to die is loss. For me, to live is money, and to die is loss. Okay, so those are sort of trivial things, careers and money. Let's pick something really noble, something that, that we could even feel is kind of biblical. For me to live is my kids, right? 
I'm a really good parent. I love my kids. I've made my whole life about my kids. Let me tell you something. If you're living for your kids and that's your whole purpose statement today, you will make their lives miserable because you'll chase them all over the country once they leave home. But let's plug it in the equation. For me to live is Christopher, Sophia, and Olivia. And to die is loss. Even something that seems good and biblical. There's a lot of things that are good things. It's just not God's thing. You see, the only thing that you and I can plug in there that really, truly will allow us to say to die is gain is Christ. That's why it matters that we reorientate our life. That's why it matters our perspective and our priorities and the power so that we can make the purpose of our life Jesus and not get caught up with all of the junk. Do you realize there's not a single person on the planet that leaves this statement empty? Every single person has a purpose. But you see a lot of people because they've let everybody else drive their priorities have changed their purpose. And they're living to please other people instead of to please Jesus. You see, when Paul said, what does it matter? That's the only question in the whole book of the book of Philippians. It's a priority question, and your priorities will impact your purpose. It's here that you and I see that, that Paul explains the great conflict of his life, and this should be the conflict of every single Christian. Here's the conflict of Paul's life. I want to be at home with Jesus, but I want to stay here and serve the saints. Do you see that conflict in his life? Are those the conflicts you're getting caught up with today? Do you know how many churches are having conflicts over the color of the carpet? Seriously? You want to talk about a real conflict? The real conflict is I love Jesus so much, I want to be at home in heaven with him, but I'm conflicted over that because I also want to serve the saints. And what Paul is saying here is that if the purpose statement for me to live is Christ, then that also means for me to live is the church. Because you can't serve the Savior without serving the saints. And Paul here says, man, I'm conflicted because because I want to be with Jesus, but I also want to serve the saints. And many of us today, we're living self-centered lives. And so the conflicts that we're dealing with are not service conflicts. They're selfish conflicts. The director of the Institute of Child Behavioral Research, Bernard Rimland, conducted a study on happiness. And it was actually a very interesting study. Here's what he did. He contacted thousands of people and he asked them to share 10 people that they knew really, really well. And then he said, I want you to write next to the names of those 10 people whether they're happy or whether they're unhappy. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to write by their name, is this a person that primarily makes life about themselves and their own happiness or a person that likes to serve other people? Are they service-minded or selfish-minded? He compiled all of the data, and here's what he came to the conclusion of. The people who made the purpose of their life, their own happiness, tended to be unhappy. And people that made the purpose of their life, the happiness of other people, tended themselves to be happy. Why are we such a miserably divided nation? I'm going to tell you, it's not politics. It's our heart. I'll tell you why we're divided. It's because we have become the me generation. 
And we're no longer a generation that is serving the master. We're no longer a generation that's looking and saying, I, I, I have this conflict in my life, and my conflict of my life is I love Jesus, and I love people, and I want to serve people. We are at an all-time low in this nation when it comes to just giving your time and volunteering and serving and, and being selfless. And we have traded a selfless heart for a selfish heart. We are the me generation, and the me generation is a miserable generation, a generation that's missing the real meaning of life, the purpose. What are we living for? You need to live for something that will outlast you. And most of us, we're not doing that today. So let me ask you, when it comes to your perception, your perspective, is your perspective an earthly one or an eternal one? When it comes to your purpose, are you majoring on what matters or the molehills? When it comes to the power, are you plugged into the Spirit of God and the prayers of the saints or self-strength? When it comes to your purpose, for me to live is, is it Christ? So that for me to die is gain? Who or what are you really living for today? Because Paul here reveals the prescription for a productive life, a joy-filled life. Now I want to pray, and then we're going to invite those that are getting baptized to come. And we're going to have some baptisms. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for how you bless us and how you encourage us. And I just pray that we would take a look at our lives. And God, the secret to a successful Christian life isn't a secret. It's making it about you. It's making it about other people. It is serving your son and serving his church. And so God, help us to reorientate our lives so that we have the right perspective, we have the right priorities, we have the right power source, and God, we have the right desire in our lives, the right purpose. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen. If you're going to get baptized, if you would just come on up. I'm going to have Pastor Ben... Share and they've got some of our youth are going to uh, share testimony and get baptized, and then I've got one. Uh, so this is exciting. You know, we've been here, my wife and I, for just over a year, and and we've yet to get to have the privilege of baptizing any of our any of our students yet. And so uh, I brought it up this a uh, couple weeks ago at youth group that we were doing baptisms at church and. Uh, we've done that before and mentioned it, you know, and talked to students about it. But it was awesome this time to have three of them come to me saying, no, I want to do that. I, w- I want to do that. I'm ready for that. So uh, I'm going to let them tell you who they are and, and their testimony. And these guys, uh, it's just awesome. And, and so we'll just go ahead if you're ready. I'll stand here with you. <laughs> my name is Riley Sandoz. I put my faith in Christ in 2015, November and I'm ready to make my faith public and be baptized. All 
right, Riley, I'm going to ask you just a simple question here. And yeah. you've already answered it, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Okay. So, Riley, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your one and only Savior and the only way for you to, to be saved and, and spend eternity in heaven with God? Yes. All right, Riley, then it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to have you reach up and plug your nose. Oh, okay. okay. And then this hour, I just want you to go across here. I started to go to Mitchell Brand Church with my mom and my little brother a couple of years ago. At first, I was confused on what Giles was talking about. I usually just sit there and doodle on a notepad. But then I decided to start listening to what Giles was saying, and I heard him say that if we didn't put our faith in Jesus Christ, we were going to hell, whether we liked it or not. I was scared, but I didn't put my faith into Jesus Christ until about a month later because I wanted to put some thought into why and how I wanted to be saved. So I asked my mom the next day if I could get saved. She said yes, and I, w I went to Giles to tell him I wanted to get saved. He took me to Ben's office, and one of the youth group leaders I hadn't met yet, he introduced himself and told me that if I wanted to get saved, that I would have to believe personally in my heart that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I told him that I did believe that he was my Savior, and he said, that's it, you're done. I was surprised that it was that easy, and I ran up to my mom to tell her, along with 80% of the church, that had been the best day of my life. I know that getting baptized does not get me into heaven, but is a public display of being a child of God. Josh, um, so have you put your faith in Jesus as your one and only Savior, knowing that he is the only way for you to be saved and spend eternity in heaven with God? Yes. Awesome. Well, then, it is my privilege in the name of the, to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. interested in Christ when a good friend of mine started taking me to Madhouse, and I accepted Christ into my life four months ago. Have you put your faith in Jesus as your one and only Savior, knowing that he's the only way for you to spend eternity with God? Yes, I have. Awesome. Well, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs>
My name is Jackie Marquez. Just give me a second. I was born and raised Catholic while I was growing up. Our mother taught me so much how to trust God's work and to have faith in him always. During the loss of our mother, I had a difficult time trusting in God and all that she taught me and all, the, all those years. I felt I was going through the motions of going to church. I lost touch of who the Savior was, and I didn't know anymore. I was then yearning for something more, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I prayed for God to help me to find him again. After a little struggles of being sick a few times, my sister Jen said a few words to me. Turn to him. He is always with you, no matter the circumstances, and it is his will. My sister Jen and brother John had invited me to attend Mitchell Berean a few times, and I, then I felt what I was longing for, I found. I, I owe this special day to my sister. She helped me in so many ways to find my way to our Lord and Savior. She's such a strong woman, and she doesn't know this, but I look up to, to my little sister so much because I see how much she has given to the Almighty One. Through his grace, I know there is a place for me in his house, and I believe and dedicate my life in the name of Jesus. That is, he is my everlasting God. Being baptized today is so joyous. So to share this with my church family and above all my family that is here, I want to thank you all for praying for me and being there for me always. Thank you. your faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, I have. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to be buried with Christ and raised to the newness of life. The other awesome part about this is we're going to have uh, Grandpa and Dad come do this baptism. So. Justin, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. Then it's our privilege to baptize you, cover up your nose, 
I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to be buried with Christ and raised to new life. Woo! I spent my whole life, I, I grew up in a Lutheran church where um, the beliefs are, are a little bit different. Um, they have a little bit more rituals, um, more rules, regulations. So it's uh, taken me a while to, to get out of that um, and really into the Word and, and what the truth is in the Word. I was fortunate um, to have one person in my life who I accepted Jesus Christ with when I was in high school. <laughs> it's amazing how we spend our, our life teaching our kids. But how our kids can teach us. And, and my son Aaron taught me what the true meaning of baptism was, and that it's okay, even though you've believed in something all your life, it's okay to change that belief because you know it's right. Because you know it's right through Jesus Christ. So I accept Jesus Christ as I did before, and I want all of you to know. Praise the Lord. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? I have. And it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to be buried with Christ and raised to the newness of life.
told myself I wasn't going to cry. Okay, so... <clears throat> I came to Jesus in belief that he was calling me. I ran to him in desperation when I knew our enemy was physically and mentally attacking me. I wanted him to save me from the hell I was in. I was begging for him to stop it, but eventually realizing this was my moment to get to know him and not just use him. He showed me his truth in the midst of the ugliest season I've ever been in. He showed me why we need a savior and what it means to be born again. Truly, there is no going back once you know him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, I have. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to be buried with Christ, and to raise to the newness of life. Isn't it an awesome thing for us to be able to see people take that step in their faith? They've already placed their faith in Christ, and now they're like, man, I want the world to know that. And so I want you to be praying for them, because we know that Satan's going to attack, and he's going to try to shut down, and he doesn't want those tears of joy, and he doesn't want people to, to be free. And so it's our privilege. And so I just want to close our service with uh, praying for them, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for this time. And we just want to lift up uh, not just those that are getting baptized tonight, but tomorrow. God, would you protect them? Would you encourage them? Would you help them to be bold in their faith for your son, Jesus? For we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's be dismissed.